what an amazing privilege. And I really pray that even um, as we study this text and see what adoption means, that you will be nearer to God, that you, that you will go deeper into God and love Him more. And if you don't know God, that you will long to know Him and long to be known by Him. So let's read together Ephesians 1. Hear now the words of the living God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you humbly and anticipating you to speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Lord, just by the fact that we call you Father so many times, so easily, it can, we can lose our sense of awe, our sense of wonder, our sense of over, being overwhelmed by your grace and your love to be able to call the triune God our Father. So Lord, I pray that you will remind us again of that great joy, that great blessing, that great privilege. And I pray that you will fill me with your spirit and give me boldness, Lord, to preach your word. Please help me in my weaknesses. And I pray that we will have listening ears and seeing eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this afternoon, we will be considering one of the most beautiful realities of our salvation, that of being adopted by God through Jesus Christ. It really describes the grace of God. We couldn't do anything to be adopted. God had to predestine us. He predestined us for adoption. It's something that God has to take the initiative with. It describes the love of God. An adoption is not just a dry exercise of the will, a mechanical transaction that you do. No, it's an act of love to take an orphan, a stranger, and in our case, an enemy, and to make that person family. With that, it also describes our great privileges as Christians. If you are a Christian, the privileges to be a Christian. God is not just your God. He is our Father who is in heaven. So we're going to consider and study this, this doctrine, this topic of adoption under five headings and five aspects of adoption. We're going to look at the meaning of adoption and we're going to spend most of our time under the meaning, then the timing of our adoption, the means of our adoption, the reason for our adoption and the purpose of our adoption. So let's begin by considering the meaning of the word. What, is, what, do, what does it mean when the Bible says that we've been predestined for adoption? What does it mean Biblically speaking, to be adopted. What does that communicate to us? So in a Roman culture, it wasn't uncommon for a Roman, for a father to adopt a son to be his heir. To, to get somebody into his family so that that person can inherit his estate, his wealth. And in the Roman culture, only a son could be an heir. And that's why Paul would say, you are adopted as sons. So the idea is that God gives his children his his wealth, his possessions, although in his family it includes both daughters and sons, right? 
Both male and female are part of this family. But saying that we've been adopted as sons is a theological point to try to communicate that we are heirs. In the Roman world, much like our world, if someone is adopted, they immediately have all the privileges, all the benefits of a natural-born child. As if you were part of the family naturally born. Listen to this one Bible dictionary um, describes the term like this. He says, by the Roman law of adoption, which required a due legal form, the adopted child was entitled to the father's name, possessions, and family sacred rights as his heir at law. So that was when 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 you say that's that's an adoption, you are in the, you have in, you are entitled to the father's name, the father's possessions, the father's sake, the family's sacred rights. Now think with me about how amazing this privilege is. It's, it's really mind-blowing to think about. If you, you were the adopted child of just an ordinary man, you would be inheriting maybe a small portion of what that man could, could possess or could afford or, or what he had. But if you take it a step up, if you've been adopted by a king and you inherit everything the king owns, again, your possessions, your, your inheritance will be much, much more. But we have been adopted by God. By God himself, who owns everything. <laughs> so the implication is, and the Bible teaches this over and over again, that we will inherit the world. We will inherit heaven and earth. We will inherit everything. And that really helps me when you can't go on that fancy vacation at the sea or at Mauritius. And you know, you see people on, the, on Facebook, you see those photos, you're like, oh, I really wish we could go there. Just wait. We are going. You will have that soon. Not now. And that's how the Bible speaks of our adoption. There is a present element to our adoption, and there's a future element to our adoption. There's a present element, and there's a future element. And we see these two concepts clearly in Romans 8. Romans 8 kind of unpacks for us what adoption means. So look at Romans 8, verse 14 to 16. It speaks of that current blessing, that we are, we are currently adopted as children of God and sons of God. It says, Romans 8 verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the moment you were saved, the moment God opened your eyes, you received the spirit of adoption. Meaning it is specifically the Spirit's work to pour out God's love in our hearts in such a way that our hearts bubble over, flow over, and look to God, not just as a God, but as Abba, as our Father. We, we love God now. There's a, there's a familial affection for God that wasn't there before. That God was before that was a stranger, or maybe you were interested in God, but there wasn't a deep childlike love and trust of God, right? But when you are saved, now there's that affection for, your, for God as your father. I remember the first time my boy, so my, my oldest boy is three years old now. We're turning three very soon, next week. The very first time he started running around the house and saying those words, Papa, Papa, like that's the only thing he could say. It, I could feel his affection and my heart would just bubble over in affection for him. And you have to stop and just stand and enjoy it when he said that. And I mean, I'm a sinful father. I'm an evil dad. Jesus said, if you who are evil parents 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? So if that's just the faint reflection of my affection, imagine God's love for us when we call him our Father. What he feels when we cry out to him, when we are pained, when we have needs, when we cry out to him to, to help us with our sin. I can imagine the, the love and the affection that must bubble up and well over in the heart of God when he sees us calling out to him, Abba Father, by the spirit that he has poured out into our hearts. This quote from J.R. Packer in Knowing God is very challenging, but it's also, in a sense, encouraging. He writes and says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Love, this is one of those tests you can take right now to know if you are saved or not. So like Romans 8 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you genuinely relate to God as your father? Do you think of God as your father? Do you, do you relate to him like that? Is there a genuine love, no matter how inconsistent and how imperfect that is, is there a genuine affection for God as your father? Do you love him in a sense that you can cast everything upon him, that you can trust him with your life, with your circumstances, with everything around you? Or is your relationship to him just merely formal, just merely duty-driven, just merely... And again, nothing wrong with duties. God, our Father, has given us duties to do, right? So it's not wrong to be. But is that the extent of your relationship with him? Do you have a Sunday relationship with him in, in, instead of a, a daily relationship with him? For those of you who do know God like this, if you, you know you love him like this, and maybe this convicts you because you're longing to know him more and love him more, then let this just be a basic reminder to you that you are not an orphan. You are not an orphan if you are adopted into the family of God. What? Imagine the tragedy if, the, if a king adopted a homeless child, giving him everything he has, a room, clothes, food, an inheritance beyond his imagination, and best of all, his very presence and fatherly love. And yet he walks out of the house and finds him on the streets, living like an orphan. How tragic that would be. But what a greater tragedy it would be for the king of kings to adopt us into his family. And we live like we're all alone, as if there's no one to help us, as if we cannot cry out to God to help us. As if we are just orphans in this world, all alone having to fend for ourselves. What a tragedy that is when God told us and promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is always with us. So beloved, do you know this blessing, this present blessing? This is something God wants you to have right now. The joy of knowing God as your father. Do you know God as your father? So there's the present element, but there's also a future element to adoption. And that's found in the rest of Romans 8, 
Romans 8 verse 17, it says, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So being an heir looks to a future promise, something that we don't have right now, but we are heirs when we are going to inherit something that is to come. And it's actually insane to see that it says we are co-heirs of Christ. So whatever Christ as the, the, the true son, the true child, you could say, the, the, the only genuine child of God, you could say, is going to inherit. Now all of his adopted family will inherit what Christ inherits. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything Christ gets, we will get. That almost feels like blasphemy to say that. But that's what the Bible teaches. What belongs to Christ is what's going to belong to us by grace. Just a few verses down, Romans 8 verse 20 to 23. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together <clears throat> in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for what? As we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's a present adoption that we already experienced, and there's a future adoption that's going to happen when our bodies will be redeemed. And it's amazing how the, the earth, is earth is described as a person waiting for something to be revealed. The creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. It's as if we are not yet what we're supposed to be. We are what The current state we are in now is not what our final state. We are not yet there. And then verse 23 makes it plain what that means. It says, we too like creation wait eagerly for this, for our adoption. And that means that future adoption refers to our resurrection. So when God will redeem this body. So heaven is not going to be an ethereal state, us floating on clouds, us not having a body. Heaven is going to be a physical place and we are going to have physical healthy bodies. And whatever physical pain you experience, whatever physical limitations you feel as a, as a human being now because of sin, know that that's going to be gone in heaven. Our bodies will be redeemed like we were meant to be. Jesus, I love Jesus' words in Matthew 13. He says, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of, my, of his father. We will have glorious bodies like he has. You could, you could say that our future resurrection will be our final vindication that we are God's children. Our final vindication that we belong to Him. Because now, if you look at our lives now, if people would look at the way we live and the way people mock us and the way Christians are beheaded and the way Christians die, like Romans 8 at the end says, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. So when people look at us like, that doesn't really look like children of the King, right? But when we are raised from the dead, that will be the final vindication, the proof. Here are my children. They are the children of God. Everyone will see and say, okay, they were the real deal. They were the children of God. And the ultimate blessing to be, of our adoption is that we will be fully conformed to the image of his son, of Jesus himself. Listen to Romans 8, 28, verse 29. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Notice that the same word is used in our text, predestined, and here we have predestined in Ephesians 1 as well. So I think these two verses are parallel to each other, and I think they interpret one another as well. So when it says, God foreknew, that is parallel to God choosing before the foundation of the world. It is choosing beforehand in love to make people his children. And then predestining for adoption is parallel to being predestined to the image of his son, to become fully like the, like the natural son of God. So that's the parallel. So the ultimate blessing of adoption, the ultimate amazingness of that is that we will be exactly like Jesus, without sin, without defection, without anything. We'll be like Jesus in his resurrection. So 1 John, I like 1 John 3, actually brings these two elements together, the present plus the future element in, in one verse. 1 John 3 verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So there's the, there's the present element, right? We are, at this moment, the children of God. He says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. That's the future element. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like the Son. That is that future adoption that is waiting for us. So, beloved, what hope do you have as a Christian, as God's child, at this very moment, if you are a Christian, you have a Father in heaven. You are co-heirs with Christ, your elder brother. And we are now waiting eagerly for that full adoption, the full present, the full gift that God wants to give us to unwrap it and to enjoy a new body on a new heaven and earth forever and ever and ever. That is our hope. That is what you have at this very moment, no matter how bad your sufferings are, your life is. So beloved, throw away the sin of self-pity. Whatever self-pity you might have, throw it away. Throw it in the dustbin. Never ever think of yourself as someone lacking anything if God is your Father who will take care of you, who will give you everything in the future to come. Now of course there is a present groaning, just like Romans 8 says, we even now we groan as we long but it's a, it's a groan full of hope. It's a groan full of looking forward to that future resurrection. So will you change the way you view yourself? If you are a Christian, will you stop thinking of yourself like an orphan, like someone that's on your own and has to just take care of yourself? If I don't take care of it, who will? Don't think like that. You are not alone. Through your adoption, the creator of the heavens and earth is now your father. Beloved, on a second, secondary application, how do you view the church? Do you just view it as a denomination, to belong to an organization, to help you on your way to heaven? Do you view it perhaps as an optional boost if you are struggling in your life? And those are all things God does for us, even if we come to church. Or do you really view the church as family? As family, your brothers and sisters. One of my favorite things to think about on a Sunday morning, and I, I almost without fail think about it to help me not be anxious because I'm doing a bulk of the preaching, I'm standing a lot in the front. But what helps me is this thought I'm going to my family. 
I'm not stressed at my family. <laughs> like if I'm with my, my wife and my children, I'm myself. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I can be myself. And that's how I think about church. I think I'm going to my brothers and my sisters. We are going to worship our God, our Father together through Christ by the Spirit. So every single Christian you know has been adopted into the family. And just like your family, you don't get to choose your family. Right? So Lord, okay, I would have loved that Christian if he wasn't part of the family. But that's not your choice. God chooses the members of the church, not you. Right? This is his family. And it's messy for a reason. <laughs> it's full of shortcomings for a reason to make us more like Christ. So doesn't that challenge the way we treat one another? Doesn't that challenge the way we think of one another as Christians, as brothers and sisters? How does that change the way we relate to one another? Would you call a family healthy if the siblings never talked to one another? Don't care for one another's burdens. Don't we feel as parents the strongest pride when our children share their toys <laughs> or play with one another and we see that, 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 that brotherly love, that sisterly love. As a parent, there's just the, the most amazing joy you, see, you feel. So how can it be anything less in God's family? Surely if we are evil and feel joy and pride and delight when our children share and love one another, how much more should God feel joy and, and pride and the light in us when we pursue one another, when we love one another, when we make the effort to reach out to one another, to carry one another's burdens in prayer. So perhaps here is another test to see if we are a healthy family, if we are a healthy church or not. Who do you know in this church, apart from me, that you regularly pray for, that you regularly reach out to, that you regularly are concerned about their needs, their burdens? Are you walking alongside of? Now, beloved, I know it's lo it was lockdown, so, so it's been difficult, right? Fellowship has been limited. It's almost like we have to defrost. We have to get back into the mindset of we have to be a church. We have to be together. But that you at least pray for people. You can pray without... Signal. You can pray without seeing one another, right? You can still pray for people by name. Did, who did you call? Who did you WhatsApp? Who did you reach out to say, hey, I'm just thinking about you? So, beloved, let us not just settle for lip service of our love for one another. Let us prove it. Let us show it. Because we are part of an amazing family. <laughs> and God, all the glory to God's grace for that. So that's the meaning of adoption. That, that's the way we should think of adoption. So first, it should change the way we think of God and ourselves and remind us of this awesome, mind-blowing privilege to call God our Father. And it should also change on the horizontal level of how we see our brothers and sisters, of, that we are truly brothers and sisters. That it shouldn't just be brother and sister, a quick thing, but that we are truly family. So that's the meaning. But now let's secondly consider the timing of our adoption. When did this adoption, when was this plan of God um, started to adopt us? If you look at verse 5, it gives us the answer. Ephesians 1 verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption. So there's the key word, right? The key word, predestined. 
So although our, the, the moment of our adoption happens at the moment we trust in Jesus, and that it will happen in the future when we will be raised from the dead, there's also a past element to our adoption. So there's a past, present, and future element. The past element is that we have been predestined for, for adoption. And predestined literally means that. Literally means that. To destine beforehand. To plan beforehand. To determine beforehand. Remember, this really continues the, the train of thought of verse 4. So we, sh we should be careful of breaking up verses 3 to 14 in chunks. It's actually one sentence. It's one flow. It's one idea. In the Greek, it's one sentence. So Paul is not you know, just changing his subject. He's really thinking of this as all things that's incorporated into our salvation. And when have we been chosen by God in verse 4? It says before the foundation of the world. I think the train of thought should lead us when it says we've been predestined to say predestined before the foundation of the world to be adopted, both now and in the future. You could say that all Christians, when they are first saved and brought into the family, understand that they have to place their faith in Jesus to be part of the family. But Paul wants us to show that there was something happening behind the scenes of our adoption. Again, so there's a human responsibility that we need to understand and accept that we had to choose. We had to repent and believe in Jesus. But there's behind the scenes things that God does that these texts are trying to open our eyes to. Ultimately, you chose because God chose you first. Ultimately, you are part of the family because God predestined you to be part of the family. And that's why I, I, I actually think a literal adoption is the best illustration of this. A literal, think of a literal physical adoption. It is not the child that chooses the parent, that can take the first step, that can initiate. The child that is not adopted is totally dependent on the parent to choose that person. So the parent had to first put his love on that child, had to choose that child. And that's exactly what God does. God set his heart on his children before the foundation of the world to make them part of his family through Jesus, his son. But why? Why, why me and not others? Why would God do this for some and not for others? Well, look at Job 42 verse 2. We, we begin by just admitting that God's purposes cannot fail. It says, I know that you can do all things, Lord, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No sovereign purpose of God can be stopped. God is God. God is free. The definition of grace is that it is not given to anybody in any fashion. For grace to be grace, it has to be free. The moment I have to give you grace, it is no longer grace. Then it's your due. Grace is free. And this is exactly what these texts is meant to do us, to stand back and just to look to God and to give Him the glorious praise of His what? In verse 6. His grace. That we need to stand and have a bigger view of grace. Not the same view of grace after we have done or done with this text. God had every right to leave us. If he left us like the devil and his fallen angels to pass over us and to condemn us forever, he would have been 100% just. It would have been right. But yet he hasn't. He chose us. He chose you first. He loved you first. That is God's grace. 
which leads us to the third aspect of our salvation, the means of our adoption. How did God adopt us? By what means? And again, verse 5 gives us the answer. It says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So when God chose and predestined us for adoption, He also decided in what way we will be adopted into the family, in what means we will enter. And that is through the person and the work of His Son. Now, if we can keep the analogy of an adoption, this shows us the infinite love of God the Father and God the Son. The only way for the Father to adopt us as His sons is for His Son to die. Now, when you start putting that into your own family and your own family context, it starts to blow your mind. I'm imagining giving up my son for my enemies to make them part of the family it is, it is, the love is beyond our comprehension. Thankfully, the son rose again, right? So it, was, it wasn't a death that stayed. It was a death that God gave. But yet that, that moment when Jesus died was beyond our imagination to bear the wrath of God for our sins. Just turn over to 2 verse 3. You'll see to chapter 2 verse 3. It says, among, in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature what? We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is our natural-born state. We are not by nature adorable, cute, or lovely, so that God would look at us and say, oh, I really want that one. No, it's exactly the opposite. We were children of wrath, children of God's judgment. We were sinners, wretched, naked, poor, rebels. Our sins deserved God's infinite punishment. That's our natural condition. That's what we would get if God just gives us what we deserve. And because we are natural born rebels, God cannot forgive us unless his justice and his holiness is satisfied. Or as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. But instead, instead of giving us what we deserve, instead of keeping us as children of wrath because God predestined us for adoption as sons and chose us before the foundation of the world. He sent his son into the world to redeem the church and to save the ones he loved. So think about this. The natural son took the place of the children of wrath. The, the, the son that, that received only God's love, only God's affection from all of eternity became the object of God's wrath. To save children of wrath. That is beyond our understanding. That's the means of how God saved us. He crushed his own son to save us. And then when Jesus died, what did he say at the end? He said, it is finished. Sins paid in full. The debt is cleared. A death had to be died and he paid it. He died. So now all of those who have faith in Jesus, who put their trust in Jesus, will receive the right from God to be called children of God. Have you accepted who you are from birth? Have you submitted to this reality that by nature we are not good? We are children of wrath who deserve nothing, not even the air we breathe, not the sunshine, not anything. Have you accepted that? 
And then have you turned to the Son, the real Son, the true Son of God? And have you cast yourself simply on Him to save you, to cleanse you, to forgive you? If you come right now, He will accept you. His promise is this. Whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. No exceptions. If you come, He will forgive you. He is a merciful Savior. Trust in Him. Listen to John 1.12. Here is the invitation. If you are not a child yet, it says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So if you receive Jesus believing in Him, you have the right from God to be called this. So come now. Come right now and put your trust in Him. Fourthly, what is the reason for our adoption? Lord, why would you adopt me? Why would you shower on me this endless blessing, this endless inheritance that will never end? Why would you set your love on me? Why would you send Jesus to die for my sins? Why, Lord? Verse 5 also gives us the reason, the basis on what, on what purpose did God decide to adopt us. Look at verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. According to the purpose of His will. God predestined you for adoption because He predestined you. Because it was according to the purpose of His will, according to His counsel, His plan. That's the end of discussion. Nothing will ever change that. It wasn't because God saw anything in you or thought that you were, there was anything in you that, that moved the heart of God to make you part of the family. It was based on His will and that's it. That's why you can be absolutely secure within your salvation. That nothing is going to rip you out of the hand of God. Nothing is going to change His affection over you. Because it was nothing in you that moved Him in the first place to chose you and to predestine you. There is no other will in the universe that can frustrate the will of God. Again, at Job 42, but listen to Psalm 33, verse 10 to 11 as well. It says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. So God is the one who does the frustrating, right? It's not we or it's not God whose will is frustrated. It's He who does it. So beloved, rest in that. Rest in this. That that's the basis. That's the reason. According to the purpose of His will. And lastly, let's close our time together with what's the purpose? What's the end goal? Where did God want to take us to our adoption and election? There's a pattern here in the text. It, after each major section, it always ends with the same pattern, to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. And here's one of those endings in verse 6. It says, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. So why would God do this mind-blowing thing to shower us with every spiritual blessing when we deserve nothing but His judgment? Why would God choose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him? Why would God predestine us for adoption as sons, giving us everything so that we may praise Him? That's the reason. So we might have a greater view of His grace. That grace might have a greater place in our minds so that at the end of it all when we see how God has saved us that we only have one word on our lips 
grace. Grace, that's, that's all. That's the only reason that God might be glorified and that we might be joyful forever and ever. So our praise will forever be God. It was all you. It was all you from beginning to end. Salvation is from you. It's through you. It's for you. To him be the glory forever. And notice that even this grace that God gives is not apart from his son. He says he has to the praise of his glory grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Literally, the Greek reads which, which he has begraced us with in the beloved. It is grace upon grace to be in Christ, the beloved. And think about that. If you are in Christ, if you are in the beloved, then when God looks at you, he also feels to you as his beloved. He treats you as the beloved. Because if you're united to his son, whom he loves, he also loves you. You are brought into a Trinitarian love from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So beloved, rejoice in God's eternal love for you. Rejoice in that, rest in that, that he planned that, that he planned to adopt you, to be part of his family, according to the purpose of his will. So rest and rejoice in this great privilege to call God your father, to call one another your brother and your sister. He loved us first and therefore Jesus died. So we can be forgiven, co-heirs, wait for our resurrection on a new heaven and new earth to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that these ideas, these truths are too big. It's too much for us. We, we do not understand it. Lord, I pray that we would have a taste of it, that we would experience it, that we would, although we don't fully comprehend it, that we would truly enter into the, the praise of it, the joy of it, the rest of it. As verse 3 to 6 just constantly emphasized that our salvation has been an eternal plan of God to bring us home, to be, a, to be with you forever and ever. And just because... To praise your glorious grace. Father, I pray that we would truly relate to you more like our Father, casting all our anxieties and our burdens upon you, resting in you. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see the church as your family, the, the family, the church that you have bought with your own blood. That we would have that love, the same love that Jesus had for your church. And we would have that love for one another. Even as Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Oh Lord, let bind our hearts together in love for one another, as you have bound our hearts together in love for you. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.